Hello and welcome to the Mobile Home Park Expert Podcast. I'm Jason Sorotin and I'm here with the Mobile Home Park King, Glenn Esterson. How are you, Glenn? I'm doing well, sir. Thank you hey, for having me again. Absolutely. Uh, so we've been, you know, there's been a lot of talk in some of the chats about evaluations and people asking, well, how do you do evaluation? How do you know if the evaluation is right? How do you choose someone to do the evaluation? And specifically, you know, I thought we could talk about MHP evaluations today and and why expenses and adjustments are critical to kind of the whole puzzle or, you know, coming up with how you're going to make money off of it. Sure. Sure. It's a great topic. It's a complicated topic. And, you know, we'll, we'll try not to get too far into the weeds with it. Uh, but it's actually one of the more critical parts of the equation for you buying your investment. Um, and mobile home parks just, you know, they're they're a doozy, you know, so it's uh, and, and and what you, you know, are projecting, you know, might not necessarily come true. And what you're analyzing might not exactly be the, the most accurate things you're analyzing. So you have to kind of take everything with a grain of salt um, and, you know, don't allow your Excel paper to lie to you because more more lies get told in Excel than you could possibly imagine. Um, you know, and it's it's not deliberate. It's just, you know. We, we get pretty hopeful with, with underwriting sometimes um, or we get uh, a little too sour on it and give a bad evaluation that's too low. And whether, you know, whether you're a buyer or a seller, I think you would want to know what a real number is on it, not necessarily what you're going to sell for or what you're willing to buy it at, but what would the 95% of the market determine as, you know, fair market value for that thing. Um, you know, can, can I ask a quick question when, when I'm looking at a, a property and I'm trying to figure out, you know, Hey, if it, if it's, if I get the valuation back and it's this, what under it should I be willing to pay? Or should I be willing to pay at it or over it? Or like, is that, are there so many factors involved? Do you have something that you go by like a formula? Well, not really. I mean, it's, it's a little subjective to your own personal goals and and your own situation, right? If you're up against a massive, uh, uh, you know, tax hit and you and you're under a 1031, you might pay more for a park than a guy who's not in a 1031, okay? Because you have, you know, you're trying to preserve some some of your tax, you know, by buying into another property, and that might cost you 10% more than the next guy would be willing to pay, right? Uh, simply because you're under the gun. Um, so, and, and right now in, in the world that, that, that I, you know, seem to be in, it's everybody's in a damn 1031, you know I mean? It's always 1031 money or there's always a tax situation or there's always a deadline or there's a, a, a real need to deploy this capital. Maybe you're a syndicator and you've got, you, you got your money raised and it's just sitting there in the bank costing you money and you haven't gotten it deployed yet. You know, does that um, cause does that cause people to rush to evaluate evaluations and therefore you're not getting an accurate number and sometimes they're bloated or, well, or are people pretty you're more seasoned. You can you can do an evaluation pretty quickly on a park once you have some some basic stuff. And, you know, when you get to the kind of stuff that we do where we do, you know, a thousand plus evaluations a year, you know, we can do them with no numbers. OK, but doesn't mean the buyer or the bank is going to agree with that evaluation, not having any supportive facts, but you as a buyer or as a seller can at least anticipate if you can get all of the books and records in order, 
that this would be an achievable number for most people. Um, and so, you know, the books and records come in real, real big, especially when dealing with uh, any of the lending facilities that are out there. Now, if you're owner financing it, it's a little less critical from the finance standpoint, okay? But you as a buyer should still be raising a big red flag. And somewhere between what it could be worth, if everything is perfect, you know, on an as-is basis, to what it really is worth, you know, you have to decide as a buyer how much that spread is worth to you. And then you're also looking at kind of, you know, the the, the, the fully maximized pro forma value on that park. If you have 100% occupancy, 100% market rent, uh, you know, you've cleaned all the efficiencies in your, in your expenses um, and you're operating it as fine-tuned as it can be, you know, that pro forma number compared to where it is today when you buy it from the mom and pop who's got no books and records, okay, that valuation is going to be with 50% occupancy and 50%, you know, uh, uh, rents, you're, you're going to be far from that pro forma number and you're going to have to decide how much that distance is worth for you. And it's, it falls back in that thing I always, you know, yammer on about time value headache, you know, and so you have to decide what that is. And that's really, really the, the basis of all evaluations is if it's worth, if I do X, Y, and Z, and it's worth this in the future, and I'm paying for th for this much today, okay, am I willing to stretch any further for that pro forma, okay, completely? If everybody's saying it's worth X today, but the, the future pro forma is so, so far out there, so big, would I be willing to pay more than X? And how much more than X would I be willing to pay? Um, and that's what brokers are really great at doing. And, and good buyers, sophisticated buyers understand that model and are using that and deploying that model all the time. So, you know, un understanding your pro forma rent, you know, your pro forma value is almost as important as understanding your today's value. OK, uh, because, you know, you might do all this work and it might only be worth a dollar more. OK, so maybe you overpaid in that case, um, you know, it, whereas if you do all this work and then you double the value of the spark over a couple of years, that, that might've been a really good choice for you to do. Um, so you have to, you have to kind of play with how it looks in the future and how it looks today and decide what the value is for you now. How are you? So, so if you're going to get evaluation done, I know you have told me over and over again, come to me, we'll do them. You do them for free. Yeah. I mean, first of all, how much of an effort is it? How much time does it take? What is the process for me to do that? And then what are the steps and how are, how do you guys, can you take me through the big things that you look at and, and sure. specifically because people are talking about expenses and adjustments and what they mean? Sure. So when you, when you, when we underwrite a deal, most of the time we have a decent amount of books and records. Okay. And like I said, we, we probably did, you know, more than a thousand evaluations this year. And it, it's a monumental undertaking to do that amount, just, just to be clear. Um, but if you can get a trailing 12 P&L from your seller, if you can get a current rent roll from your seller, if you can get the seller to say that, yes, I have these utility bills. Yes, I have these things. And here's my CapEx that I've spent. And here's what, you know, I think still needs to be spent to clean everything up. You can actually get through an evaluation pretty quickly. Um, and assuming their, their, their P&L isn't filled with, you know, 
random stuff. Like sometimes people merge their all their rental properties into one PL, and then then you're not going to have much luck, you know, bifurcating it. You're going to have to, you know, really understand how this park works on its own, not as, you know, all these other things that are coming in. But you have to learn how to carve things out and how to add things in. So what we really need critically first and foremost is your rent roll, right? That rent roll will, will give us all the lots in your park, you know, all the, all the rents being paid on each of those lots in your park, all the vacancy in your park, all the homes in your park. And then we, we can have our, our basis of our analysis. You have 100 units, 20 of which are vacant, 20 of which are park-owned homes. Of those park-owned homes, 10 of them are vacant and the rest are all lot renters, okay? So, you know, like just for using an example, and we know what the lot renters are paying in lot rent and then and what the home rents are. So we can bifurcate you know, the two rents and separate them out. Um, and, you know, we, we work through this puzzle, starting just with that. That rent roll summary is one of the more critical pieces to really understand. Now you have to wonder, is this guy actually collecting all that rent that's on this rent roll? Or is this just, you know, if everybody paid all the rent this month? And most of the time, you know, you get strong collections, you know, you know, 90 something percent collections most of the time, some places even better. Uh, but mm, a lot of times you don't get that, you know, and you have, you know, a poor operator that doesn't have good collections and it's got carrying a lot of delinquency. Uh, and so you have to understand, you know, what that is. So an important question to ask your seller, you know, is how much are you actually collecting every month or how much did you collect this year? So you have a real revenue number to work from. OK. And, you know, maybe it's the full amount, maybe it's 80 percent of the full amount. But you have to ask that question and get an understanding. of it. Uh, once you have an understanding of that, the P&L will kind of, you know, clearly describe most of the expenses. You have taxes, which, you know, if you don't if, if they don't have them on there for some crazy reason, go to the county website and look up the taxes or the city's website. Look them up. You got insurance. You know, a lot of guys don't carry insurance. It's freaking crazy, but they don't carry insurance on these things. Right. So then you have to kind of ballpark what what a fair number for insurance would be if he's, if he doesn't have it, or if he's using like an umbrella policy that keeps his pricing artificially low that you wouldn't be able to, to figure out. You'll have to go get an insurance quote, but most of the time in most markets, it's going to be somewhere between $60 and a hundred dollars a lot per year, you know, is, is what we've come to learn. Um, flood zones and hurricane zones and things like that are going to make it go up or whatever, but you know, basically a park, not in a flood zone, not in a environmental zone of you know wind or hurricanes, things like that, you're probably going to be around 60, 70 bucks a lot. Then you have R&M, repairs and maintenance. Now we're not talking about CapEx. We're not talking about repairs on park on homes. We're talking about true, you know, uh, repairs and maintenance for the park. Um, and, you know, while we consistently see that number very, very low on, on mom and pop operators, it's usually because they just aren't operating it the way it should be in deferred maintenance is building, you know, uh, most professionals that are, you know, daily buyer, trader, seller type of guys, you know, they're going to want to see a number at, at about 150 to $200 per lot per year. Um, and so try and aim for that number. Now, if the seller's numbers are only a hundred dollars. Okay. This doesn't mean that the seller's, you know, fibbing. It just means that that's what he's operating it at. And as a cautious buyer and as a broker, we we will model it back up to, you know, 150. So that would be an adjustment upwards on the seller's seller's PL. And do you take into consideration that by raising that, you might lose people? 
No, because what you're doing is you're, you're raising the expense. So it's actually to the buyer's benefit. Okay. Oh, God. Because that's going to bring the valuation down. Uh, but the seller might just, are, you know, adamantly just be against, no, it only costs this much money and I have all this amazing paperwork. Okay, fine. Uh, you know, but as a professional model goes on, on an underwriting system, you know, again, we consistently see that number between 150 and 200. And if it's a, if it's an amenity heavy community, it might even be higher. Okay. Um, you know, but somewhere in that range is probably a fair number. There's acceptable ranges. It appears for a lot. And and a story explains a lot of things. So, you know, you want to always be talking with your broker or with your counterpart in the transaction to kind of understand more of the story behind the expenses. But often when you're evaluating deal, it's a broker, he sent you something and maybe there's P and L from that, you know, that the seller included or the broker included, and you're just quickly doing some math to see if it makes your yes pile or your no pile. And you're trying to come up with a, an answer in just a few minutes. Um, and we can talk about it really quick, you know, you know, back of the napkin evaluation to, to do the yes and no pile. But once you get this into the yes pile and you're actually seeing if you're going to go make an offer on this and, and, you know, close on this deal, these are the kind of steps we're talking about. So you have your R&M and you got your landscaping. Some people like to put it in R&M. So you have to be cautious that, you know, that the landscaping, snow removal type stuff's not baked into your R&M. What's R and M again for, for my benefit? Repairs and maintenance. Oh, thank okay? you. Yeah, yeah. And not not repairs on maintenance on, and maintenance on homes, but just on the park and the grounds and stuff like that. Your roads, your, your you know stuff like that. Uh, you know, just general repairs, septic systems, X, Y, and Zs. Okay. Um, so then you have your landscape, which you know sometimes the tenants mow their own lawn. Sometimes you know the, the landlord takes care of all of it. Uh, but you, you want to know what that number is and you want to decide what's best for you. It's obviously cheaper to make the tenants mow their own lawn. If you don't mind having lawn that's, you know, here and here and here and here all over the place looking kind of. You know, that would not work for my OCD. You know? I would want everything yeah. to look really nice. I want it to have that right. curb appeal all the time. So right. if any buyer comes in at any point, we're ready to go. Right. And and that means you're going to have to pay for it. Right. So, you know, so you have to pad that into the expenses and you might have to make another upward adjustment on the expenses for it. Uh, You know, and then below that, you have your utilities, you know, water, sewer, trash, electric, uh, sometimes cable, you know, is included. You got to get those numbers. Those are pretty straightforward. You go and get the number from the municipality. It gets a little convoluted when you get over to well and septic because it's not, you know, a third party reporting system type of thing. And, you know, if it's a smaller park, they might not even be testing and monitoring the wells and stuff like that, right? Um, so you might not even have good reports from there. But what you want to do is not just write zero on the expense because there's an expense there. And what we have gotten accustomed to is using the more or less the same price as what regular water is going to cost you, and, you know, or municipal water is going to cost you. So whether it's in that market might be 15 to $20 per tenant. Well, then that's the number I'm going to use anyways. And it pisses the sellers off. It really does because they, 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 they really argue that there's no expense here. The water is free. It's a well. And all I have to do is once every few years, replace a pump or replace, you know, something, you know, minor. Okay. But that's going to artificially inflate your price. Um, and as a buyer, I'd be very cautious of buying a deal that doesn't have a reasonable amount stamped to the water, uh, even if it is private utilities. Now, if it's public utilities, it could be getting billed back to the tenant. It might be the landlord might be paying for it uh, as part of the rent. OK, uh, but he's also might be billing it back. So you have to make sure there's a revenue adjustment for it. And what we look out for 
on billbacks from the revenue side is when we see things that are 100% billback, sometimes it's true, but most of the time there's some there's some leakage somewhere, you know, whether whether there's an actual leak that's outside of the scope of the tenant's responsibility or whether the tenant just ain't going to pay you or he moved out and another tenant's going to move in. And so that, that space that's coming out of the owner's pocket. So we usually underwrite to, you know, somewhere between 80 and 90% recapture on water and sewer billbacks. Now trash, you can usually get a, a higher number on. Cable, you can usually get a higher number on. Um, but, uh, uh, and electricity is usually about the same as water and sewer and trash. So, you know, water and sewer and that, you know, 80 to 90% billback. Once you get the utilities kind of figured out, which is a big, big part of the equation, but pretty easy to solve. You ask the seller to verify, you know, the utility by, by giving you a couple months of the, the last few months of the utility statement. Um, and that will tell us pretty good that, oh, no, this is a real bill and this is what the cost is for it. Then you get through, you know, through that, and then you're into your, 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 you know, accounting and legal and your general admin stuff, uh, which we used to bifurcate out. Now we've kind of put it into a, you know, a, 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 a general bucket of general expenses. Um, and it just kind of depends. I mean, you're going to send out mailers to your tenants. You're going to be taking some of your tenants to court. You're going to always have an accountant that's going to do your end of year accounting. And, you know, maybe you're going to add bookkeeping in there. Now we don't, we won't necessarily do bookkeeping on a small deal in the underwriting because most of the time the, the, the mom or pop is doing their own bookkeeping, but you know, a bigger deal certainly going to have bookkeeping baked into it. Then you have your management on-site and off-site management. Now that's another one that people like to argue about. Um, and over the years of doing it, you know, we, we really have kind of narrowed that down and, and, you know, your on-site management, depending on where you live on your, in the country and the type of manager you're using you know, it can be $10, $15 a lot, or it can be $20, $30, $40 a lot. But typically, it's going to be around $20 to $30 a lot uh, per month uh, per tenant that's in your park for your on-site manager. And then your off-site, which is going to be essentially like your third party that's overseeing the investment for you. And oftentimes, that's the owner himself taking the money is you know going to typically be about 5% also and what that works out to between those two things it's typically somewhere between 8 and 12% total management costs on the deal which is something you can bank on you'll be able to find a full service management company to be able to do you know cuz you know a guy like you you ain't going to want to manage these things you know so you're going to you're going to no. pay the right people right? <laughs> um so, and that's what it seems to come through time and time and time again. So now, now you've covered your, your basic categories of true expenses, not your CapEx, not your, your things like that, but your true expenses of operating. And it gives you a good idea because now you have your, your revenue, you've confirmed your revenues, you know, you said, okay, this thing makes $100,000 a month, um, you know, and you, you, you've seen the collections and you know that that's a defendable number. Right. And now you have your expenses that probably came somewhere between, 35 and 45% of the deal. And your job now is to make that more efficient on your pro forma. And the pro forma is, is not very hard. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. You say, Oh, I have a hundred lots. They're getting $250 a month um, currently, uh, but the parks, you know, maybe full or maybe, you know, all the active lots are full in the park and maybe all your competitors are pretty full too. Well, that to me says, you know, supply demand, you know, pricing needs to go up on, on rentals. And, and, you know, I feel about rent increases. It's never on the legacy tenants, but it's going to be on your turnovers and your new tenants, right? Um, or in your vacant lots and vacant homes. And so 
how do you figure that number out? Because that's extremely important for your pro forma value, obviously. Um, that's where, you, you, you know, everybody's going to argue with about it. Our method is we go look at two bedroom apartment rents for that for that area. And we peg it as a percentage of what a two bedroom apartment you know rent would be for. So if the two bedroom apartment rent in that market is seven hundred dollars, then we're going to say maximum lot rent for this area is probably three hundred to three hundred and fifty dollars. Okay, um, that doesn't it's not a timestamp. That just means today. You snap your fingers, you could probably get that, assuming that the occupancies you know around the market are there to support that. So you have to figure these things out, and then at the end of it all. You know, you have one number that says this NOI, you have another, you have your pro forma NOI, and then you have to decide what cap rate to slap on it that you're going to, that you're going to do that in. And most people use a cap rate almost artificially. They say, oh, I, I won't go less than a six cap on a deal. Okay. Well, you know, years ago it used to be, I won't go less than a 10 cap on a deal, you know? Um, so that, to me, that number is a little artificial. And what people are really saying when you trace back the argument is, well, my debt's going to cost me this much money from a percentage, from an interest rate standpoint, okay? Assuming you have a, a, a deal that's financeable and you're not going through a bridge loan or something like that, but you have a deal that maybe today is a 4% interest rate you can get on. And maybe you're looking for, you know, a, you know, a 20%, you know, 10-year IRR on your investment, okay? Well, that would mean you need three points spread. So your 4% debt means you can afford to pay a seven cap on that deal in order to maintain your 20% 10 year IRR. Okay. And so people don't know that this is what they're saying, but this is kind of what they're saying when they, when, when, when they're looking at how to slap a cap rate on there. Um, and so, but when it's a value add, it can be very complicated because I mean, I sell plenty of value adds that are two, three, 4% cap rates that, you know, obviously you ain't getting debt that cheap on that thing. It's more of a bridge loan interest only type of thing, you know? And so it's a repackaging when you stabilize it to get it out, what that spread is going to be after you've gotten it up to a, a financeable standpoint with the, you know, agency bank, and then being able to figure out how to create your spread from there. So it's, it's very complicated, but at the end of the day, there's a much simpler, much simpler way, you know, to get the back the napkin, yes or no pile type of number and that's, you know, it's, it's the guys that, that say, well, it's, uh, you know, the going average debt right now is four cap is a 4%. And, you know, I, I'm looking for a 15% 10 year IRR. So I'm going to, you know, do a two or two and a half point spread on that. And then I'm going to underwrite it to, you know, gross revenue. I'm going to slap a 40% expense ratio on that. And then here's what, you know, this would, could make sense. And it's not a great way to do it, but it's a way that a lot of people do it is, they, they use 40% as a basic number, and then maybe they scale it down. And, you know, we like to see the expense ratio on a pro forma get down to, you know, really about 30%, 35%. That number seems to stand true, all, you know, time-tested time and true most of the time. So when you pull out the utilities, the water and sewer expenses, uh, if they're not being built back, and you can usually always see it land right around that number. When, which means you probably had to move your rents up and grow some revenue, and you probably had to make some efficiencies in your in your uh, expenses, and then you can land at this this kind of nice number, and that's where it should operate from that point on. Uh, in most cases, assuming you keep occupancy. Man, that you just yeah, you just blew my mind. It was so much. I did have one question that is a little separate. 
<laughs> but I'm just curious because you were going through kind of expenses, you said cable and all of that. Are there is there anybody who's like supplying um like wireless to parks and stuff like that, oh, yeah. including it in? Yeah, it's a whole it's a whole industry, you know. So, you know, like a lot of cable contractors will go around and talk to park owners and try and get them to sign a contract with them for their 200 doors in their park or whatever to supply the cable. And they'll they'll be creative about it. And the sellers can often make some money. And maybe maybe they're including it for free as an amenity for their tenant, or maybe they're getting it at $20 per door. And the tenant is going to be able to pay $25, you know, for their cable, which is better than what the competition might be charging or something, you know, so that exists. I'm always cautious with those things because often they have a long, a long hook in them and you can't necessarily cancel those contracts quickly. And if you're paying for that, you know, it, it could be, and it, you get some money up front, which is nice, but it could be an expensive cost to you at the end when you go to sell because maybe the cable contract for your park is $30,000. And if you put that, you know, even on just the 10 cap, that's $300,000 of value you're losing right there. Um, so, you know, that, that exists. The Wi-Fi people are, are doing it. We see, you know, I'm seeing more and more of it, uh, you know, Wi-Fi, you know, internet stuff going through parks, same, same as the cable, um, you know, and it's, you put in your own tower and make money off of the internet. Hey, that seems like a great idea. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's it's it could cost you in the end because the next guy might be like, well, I don't want to have to be the operator of this thing or deal with this thing. Right. Now, if I take it yep. from my tenants, they're going to think I'm taking something from them, you know, and I can't, you know, I mean, you can adjust some rents up, but that, that might be $50 a month to a tenant for that cable or for the Internet or the whatever, you know, so you have to you know, be cautious. I mean, think about your core expenses. And that's that's really what you should try and scale your underwriting down to are the core expenses, the ones that I described. Um, and then you have you have your numbers like it's like, well, it's worth if I do all this work. This park's worth two million dollars and I can get it today for seven hundred fifty thousand dollars and maybe only make five percent of my money as is today. But that spread is a lot. And I think I can do that in two years. So, yeah, fine. I'll pay you you know the number that you need to get this thing. Whereas another guy might say, oh, God, no. I'm at, you know, I'm at $500,000 for this park because I need a seven cap, you know, out the gate to go to make this park work. And in value add situations, you know, the buyers that are hooked on a cap rate, they don't win too often with us. It's just because it's, it's the value add, you know, you're not, but you're not, you're going to pretend like the vacant lots and the vacant homes don't exist and you're not going to go and infill them. Well, somebody else won't pretend that and they'll give us credit for them. And that's what most buyers are up against right now. You need credit for those things. They exist. You know, they exist. they're real. They're, there. they're you real. Just snap your fingers and make them appear, you know? So you, you got to throw some money at them. And, you know, it, it, history used to say, you know, we don't pay for park owned homes. We don't pay for vacant lots. We don't pay for upside. Uh, it's history. It ain't today. You know? <clears throat> Absolutely. Well, Glenn, if there's one thing I learned today, it's that I'm never doing my own evaluation. I'm always going to call use the uh, third parties, the you Glenn know. Asterson team yeah. <laughs> and see if you guys we do a lot of evaluations for people and we're happy to do them. And depending on the stuff you give us, we're able to give you a pretty good number. If you give us crap, we might give you a crappy number. I mean, but you know, if we get the good stuff from you, you'll get the good stuff from us and it will just help you. Even if you don't use this as the brokerage, you know, the facilitator, uh, it, you'll at least know what some other people think about your deal. Uh, and that's, that's an important, you know, important thing. It'll help you sleep a little bit better at night. Yep. And if you want to learn more 
about uh, this and and all sorts of other things about the mobile home park industry, go to themhpexpert.com. If you want to talk to Glenn or someone else on his team, you can reach Glenn at gesterson at themhpexpert.com. And you can always call the team at 720-MHP, the number four, you that's 720 MHP4U. And there is an article on our blog about this to- topic. So just go on over to the blog if you want to learn more. Hit us up with any questions, comments, or concerns. We're always happy to listen. Glenn, thank you so much for your time today. And everybody, we will see you next time. 